0: Just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries, and potentially disastrous diagnosis today we are going on a journey more specifically lauren jewhurst's journey to a diagnosis of mic eds musculocontractual alice danlos syndrome there are 13 different subtypes of eds and mic eds is very rare At the time of recording, Lauren is one of two people living with this diagnosis in New Zealand. Lauren also has a variety of other diagnoses, including anaphylaxis, arthritis, mast cell activation syndrome, osteopenia and gastroporiasis, which we will talk about today. In this episode, Lauren shares the journey to her diagnosis, explains what anaphylaxis feels like, gives us an insight into the countless hospital admissions she has experienced, and teaches us the ins and outs of life with a feeding tube. Just a content warning though, throughout this episode we do talk about death, which might be distressing to some listeners. If I'm completely honest, I'm actually a little bit speechless. It's been an honour getting to know Lauren, and I think her interview really speaks for itself. welcome to that's so chronic a big thank you to distinction hotel dunedin for helping make this episode of that's so chronic possible lauren on instagram your bio is a small girl with big dreams and i am so excited to have you on the pod today i we actually connected over on instagram we did. Yes. And it's been a real pleasure getting to know you and getting to know your story. But we do have a lot to get through, don't we? We do. It's a bit of a long story. <laughs> you were diagnosed earlier this year with Mick EDS, which yes. is musculocontractual Alice Danlos syndrome. Yes. But yep. it was not an easy ride. Or a short ride. No. To get to this conclusion. Shall we go all the way back to the beginning? Yeah. What what was childhood like? When did all of this start that you suddenly went, hang on, things aren't quite right with me? Ultimately the day I was born. Okay. Really. Um, I was one of those
1: children that was born prematurely and spent my first sort of days of life in an incubator. There wasn't too much that really went wrong, um, in those early days. I just wasn't super well as yeah. far as, you know, Rough start to life, but things were okay. I didn't need to go to Starship or anything. Just needed a little bit of extra TLC before I went home with mum and dad. Mm -hmm. After that, I was unwell on and off throughout the early years before turning five. I had glandular fever. um, I had recurrent urinary tract infections and things, and was just always a bit poorly. I was just a bit of a sick child. And then when I was six years old, I had was diagnosed with grade five bilateral urinary reflux, okay. which basically means and this is terrible because because I was so young, I only know the little kid version of it. Yeah. I've never figured out <laughs> what it actually means. But basically the bugs ate my kidneys. Oh wow. And I ended up needing to have a surgery where they place stents on my kidneys because I've got, now I've got scarring on both sides and right. I have the function of about maybe one and a half kidneys. Oh. So I don't have, quite have two full kidneys yeah. because of all the scarring. Wow. So yeah, so I've got to be quite careful when I play sports and you know, I played paintball once and my mum scolded me a lot because <laughs> of a hit in the back. That's quite a, you know, risky thing for me. But yeah, yeah things sort of started at that point mm-hmm. and then started school was still a bit of a sick kid but okay had a few sick days here and there but it was mostly fine got to high school went through that awkward you know stage everyone does when they're going through puberty Mm -hmm. started becoming more active and started living life a bit more recklessly I guess and started breaking a few bones which was a bit you know yeah. not great it was basically in high school if if someone said oh do you remember Lauren they'd say oh yeah she was the girl who was always on crutches always oh, wow. had a cast on her arm so I yeah high school when I was 18 years old got diagnosed with osteoporosis I went for a bone density scan and realized that i had the same sort of bones as you know an 85 year old i was gonna say that's quite young to be diagnosed with
0: osteoporosis
1: yeah my it was terrible like i i i didn't drink milk as a kid i must confess yeah um, was not a fan but i loved cheese i loved ice cream i was relatively fit i did exercise you know quite a bit i was a little bit overweight but i was happy and healthy that was just sort of who i was and you know how things were for me i guess but No I just was constantly falling over and hurting myself with the smallest injuries like I'd trip over and put my hands out to stop myself and break my wrist oh my god and yeah when they finally did a bone density scan they realized that my bones were anything but perfect so yeah things sort of started falling apart there and then I guess everything just went downhill.
0: Were they able to do anything for the osteoporosis then?
1: Yeah so um, what they did is I started taking quite regular calcium supplements Mm -hmm. and things and since that point in time I actually don't take calcium supplements anymore because due to being so young they worry about the long-term effects of calcium and so obviously I guess the research is always changing and then the opinions of what isn't isn't a good treatment? is always changing as well. But for me, they said no. We'll stop that for now. Yeah. So instead, I take vitamin D supplements because okay. living in Dunedin, there's not a lot of sun, mm-hmm. and you do need sun for good bone health. So yes, which yeah. Dunedin has not
0: put on <laughs> the sunshine today. That no, is for sure. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I take I take um the
1: vitamin D, and I take that fortnightly, and have been taking that for years and years now. There are other therapies that they could be doing, for example, um, there's different types of infusions I could be having, but because I am still so young, they're really unsure about the long-term effects of it, so instead it's sort of more managed through like diet and exercise and things, and I have been fortunate enough just earlier this year actually to sort of classify more now as someone with osteopenia, which is sort of like the pre-stage to osteoporosis I guess which is really cool so I've kind of gone backwards I've managed to get things strong enough to yeah not be quite in so much trouble and I haven't had any serious breaks for quite a long time which is touch all the wood yes touch wood (laughs) please but yeah it's been it's been really good in that sense but it's sort of yeah, I guess where things started fine like getting a little bit more serious
0: and then I guess if my Instagram stalking is correct, I did a deep stalk all the way back to like 2016 last yes. night. Is this now when anaphylaxis enters your life?
1: Yeah, so I, I've i always had a few random little allergies, you know, had eczema and things as a kid. And in high school, actually, I started developing a bit of a, an allergy to latex. Like so it was one of those things that you kind of find out the hard way I guess I was playing with balloons and would start feeling a bit dizzy when I was around oh, wow. balloons or I'd get rashes on my hands or just not feel not mm-hmm. feel amazing but it was okay and yep. then one time I was playing with balloons because I mean latex isn't a lot of things but balloons I think as a kid are one of the things that you're exposed to yep. the most yeah so I was playing with balloons and again another time and felt quite breathless with it but then was still okay and then yeah I think maybe when I was about 20 years old yeah I had my first anaphylactic reaction yeah to latex and it was of course to a balloon yeah and that was when I realized oh actually this is a little bit more serious than just you know feeling a bit dizzy or sick or having a rash this is very much a full-blown sort of issue what happens when you go into this so it's It's kind of been different each time and sometimes I've definitely been a lot worse and a lot more scary than others, but generally I'll start feeling really, really unwell Mm -hmm. and I'll just feel, you kind of get this impending sense of doom, like you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, like, am I about to die? Something's about to happen. Okay. And it's hard because some people might hear that and say, oh, like, are you having a panic attack? But, you know, when you're sort of breaking out in hives and feeling, you know, your heart rate is racing and you just sort of, you do, you genuinely feel like you're about to die and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to breathe. I constantly will start, I'll be coughing. Like, you sort of like have this really husky coffee, coffee feeling, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you you feel really tight. Like, I, I just always feel genuinely like I'm about to choke or drop dead realistically wow. and that sounds it sounds a bit dramatic but my most recent or one of my most recent anaphylaxis actually which was thankfully a few years ago now but I was with friends and was staying in one of their bedrooms and jumped in their bed and didn't know that there was a hot water bottle under the covers of course I didn't even think no, of hot no yeah. bottles. well neither did they and they knew that I was allergic they just obviously hadn't thought about it at all Holy moly. Yeah. So I ended up going into anaphylaxis and was very unwell. And that particular one I think to date would be my worst my worst one because what happens is even once you've had like your adrenaline and you go to go to the hospital, you can have biphasic reactions or when the adrenaline wears off, you know, it can come back. Wow. And so yeah, I had been taken to E D by ambulance. I'd already had several doses of adrenaline and I was looking good and then is this in the ambulance yeah On the in, way in there. The, yeah. yeah and so when I got to ED like you know I, I kind of just more needed monitoring things were fine and then next minute I've only been told this I obviously don't remember it at all but the nurse came over to check on me and it turns out that I stopped breathing oh <gasps> yeah so yeah things can get very real very quickly and it's one of those things where you almost don't know what to expect when it starts evolving yeah and so sometimes it's like oh I'll just wait and no, maybe I don't need to use my EPP, and maybe it will be okay but you also don't want to leave it too late no because, yeah I was very very sick and nearly died that night so it's it's one of those really crazy things where you sort of just need to not live in fear but you just need to be really aware and yeah it's so so important to yeah to take things seriously i guess take any allergy seriously but also if you're the person with the the allergy yeah you just need to you know be over cautious i think rather than
0: under because yeah do you have any other allergies or is it just the latex i say just but it's like (laughs) you know that's enough right
1: (laughs) yeah so i have um i do have one other allergy which is quite bad and that is sort of to avocado I know, I wow. know. No smashed ever from me. Yeah,
0: but you know, of all things to not have, avocado is okay. Like, yeah, it doesn't pop up just, necessarily well, no, everywhere. It's, it's not like onion. It's hard because I love sushi. And so
1: it makes yes. it really hard to just go out and buy sushi because so many... So many rolls of sushi are made yeah. with avocado. That's just always the chosen vegetable. Yeah. So that makes life a bit hard sometimes. Oh, but... So do
0: you have to <laughs> ingest an avocado, or just being near an avocado would that? That might be a really stupid question, but no. Well,
1: I think it does. It can can you know vary. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think it's ingesting. Okay. But with latex, for example, I have had a reaction after touching someone who had touched a balloon
0: wow so
1: yeah yeah so people
0: need to wash their hands and then what happens in your health journey oh
1: I I don't even know where to begin but yeah I was I was having these anaphylactic reactions and things were things were okay you know it might feel a bit yuck for a while but then in 2016 I had a anaphylaxis to a balloon of course yeah and what was frustrating is on that particular occasion I was actually on a camp and they were doing an activity that involved balloons. And I had told them prior to their camp that I had this life-threatening allergy, like, and can we please not have balloons? In the same way that someone with a nut allergy would tell Mm -hmm. the kitchen, I am allergic to nuts, can we not have food with nuts in it? And they hadn't taken it seriously. And unfortunately, even though I took every single precaution that I could, I ended up having a really bad allergic reaction um probably my other worst reaction to yeah. date in the respect that i was just continuously reacting like i i went to hospital and then went into anaphylaxis again and again and again and ended up having to stay in hospital for several days yeah. reacting and being looked after because yeah my body just wouldn't calm down so yeah after that happened like i came home and did the normal starting to recover from you know feeling just disgusting yeah. really because you do you feel you feel and absolutely wiped yeah you know? and literally thinking that you're about to die you know yeah <laughs> like yeah. that's so, really oh, that's a lot the mental and physical recovery yeah like that normally will last a little while sometimes there might be little things that uh, trigger you again as far as like mentally you know when I'm recovering if I all of a sudden get a bit of a tickly throat or a cough again. I'm like, oh my gosh, is it happening again? Mm-hmm. And it's just that my throat's still sore from yep. when when I did react. And this time was just really different. I, I didn't I didn't really recover. I didn't snap back into my normal self. I just mm-hmm. kind of continued to feel unwell. And what were your symptoms? What started happening? I it was hard to tell. It was one of those things where it was like, is this just me recovering or is this actually something else? But I started basically I've always been someone who loves food yeah (laughs) like straight up like I never really cared about my weight I was always happy healthy and pretty fit even though I was a little bit cuddly a little bit overweight it was never an issue if you read my medical notes you'd probably always see the word overweight but no one was super super concerned because it wasn't major I was just you know a little bit probably too happy with you know (laughs) having a second portion of dinner or like having takeaways or junk food after school so I love food and all of a sudden food started not to love me okay basically I was flashing at the time Mm -hmm. and we lived in a cold Dunedin student flat classic yep so great and what would happen is I would go to have lunch or dinner or sometimes you know breakfast and afterwards I would start feeling really really nauseous right and I was like why do I feel sick this is yeah. weird and then fr- from there the nausea turned into nausea and crippling pain and then around it,
0: like in your tummy yeah in
1: my tummy yeah and then it turned into nausea crippling pain and me vomiting or having like rampant diarrhea like mm-hmm. all of those fantastic things that you really don't want but I couldn't figure out why yeah and I was like Is this from my anaphylaxis? Like what's going on? And yeah, what ended up happening is it got to the point where every time I ate, I felt so unwell that I was having to like lie on my bed and curl up in the fetal position. Yeah. That it kind of became to a point where I didn't I didn't want really want to be eating anymore, but I also didn't want to be eating very much because I was worried. Yeah. I was worried that if I if I did Eat that I was going to feel like that, and Mm -hmm. it was such an unpleasant feeling that I thought that's maybe maybe if I eat less, maybe it won't happen. Yeah, so I started eating less, and then I started eating less frequently. So instead of having breakfast, I would my first meal of the day would either be you know morning tea or lunch, yeah, because maybe if I delay starting to eat for the
0: day, I won't have to feel as yuck for as long and during this time were you doing process of elimination of certain types of food I was yeah so it was
1: everything was just really confusing because I didn't know what was happening and I thought maybe I've developed a gluten intolerance mm. or maybe I don't know like maybe I've just got some other random allergy yeah. so I would you know try and eliminate like dairy or gluten I would try to having a really plain diet you know and I'd, I'd gone to my doctor and I'd say, what's going on and they didn't really know, yeah. but they just said, oh, we'll monitor it. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see how things go. Yeah, and all Great. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Great things, yeah. So, yeah, I all of a sudden, because this was happening, my body basically started getting really, really unhappy with me yeah. because I'd gone from fueling it incredibly well, probably too well, like I said, <laughs> to hardly giving it anything at all. And in a about a three-month period, I lost nearly 30 kg. Wow. Yeah, and was very, very, very unwell. Like, they eventually, when I finally did have bloods taken, my blood work was a mess.
0: Were people taking this seriously? Were they like, all right, well, we got to figure out what's happening to this girl
1: this was the problem and i i find it really hard because i still see it with some of my friends today and also just in general like in the world being young a young female straight away people thought that i had an eating disorder to the point where I also thought, maybe I do have an eating disorder and I just don't know it. Like, maybe this is what an eating disorder looks like. You know, I, I was being pretty disordered with my eating, so yeah. in theory, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. Yeah, but what, what, what that meant is that every time I ended up at the doctor's, they were being very judgmental and sort of asking yeah. all of the right questions, but in the wrong way, I mm-hmm. think. And... When I finally did end up having to go to um, ED because I was so dehydrated mm. and my blood sugar was really low, and I just was too sick basically to eat anything. Because in amongst this, I was vomiting when I ate as well, and yeah. I was in a lot of pain. So. And were you
0: able to keep water yeah. down? No, no, and I was. It, yeah. I was
1: just. I was vomiting. Like I, I just seemed to be getting sicker and sicker, basically. And so when I did finally go to ED. They ended up giving me a drip of fluids and things, but then just would send me home. But before I was allowed to go home, they would make me see the emergency psych services. Right. Which was a really hard thing because, of course, that made me not want to go back either. Yeah. You know, I got referred from my doctors to a dietician to learn how to eat better, and I got referred to a counsellor because I thought I needed to, you know, talk about, obviously, this apparent eating disorder mm-hmm. that was flourishing.
0: Yeah.
1: But obviously that was not it
0: when did they finally go okay maybe this isn't an eating disorder and we should do some tests for something else
1: sadly it was a, it was probably a few a good few months which even then isn't a huge length of time for some people you know i know that other people wait years and years before mm. they're taken seriously but after a few months because i was bouncing literally in and out of ed and then eventually i was bouncing in and out of hospital i'd be admitted for rehydration maybe some pain management and things and then they'd send me home how long would those admissions
0: be they would range
1: from you know a few days to you know as it as it turned out uh, a few weeks to i think my longest admission in the past few years has been several months yeah so it really did you know it varied a lot but each time would get longer and longer and I would be sicker and sicker. And my GP finally wrote a letter to ED basically demanding that I got help, that they actually did some more testing. So when I was admitted on that particular admission, they actually started trying to take things more seriously and I was referred to all the right people and they they started doing the right things.
0: Who are the right people and what were the sort of tests that you were getting done? At the time... I was
1: referred to the gastroenterologists mm-hmm. because obviously they thought that I might have some, well, something wrong with my tummy yes. because I was yeah. struggling so much with food. And yeah, the tests that they did, I think they did scopes and things. Like mm-hmm. it's it feels like a very long time yeah. ago now, but yeah, they did that. And then what they also did is because I'd lost so much weight, they told me that they needed to put in a nasogastric tube. Mm-hmm which at the time i was absolutely terrified of but i was also so desperate for food and for energy really because I, I felt dizzy just getting out of bed in the morning yeah. i couldn't really do anything yeah so they've decided to put in a nasogastric tube but what they did is they kind of did everything that you shouldn't do if oh this makes God. sense yeah yeah so I had the, I was I was admitted at the time and I had the nasogastric tube placed, except for anyone that's had a nasogastric, they'll know this. When they put it in, they have something called a guide wire that's sort of has, it's how you assist the tube down basically. Mm-hmm. And then it stays in place and they x-ray your chest to make sure that they've got it or your stomach and to make sure they've got it in the right place. Yep. And then once they know that, they pull it out. And okay. it's a very rigid sort of thing that if you didn't know it was there and could be removed you would be quite concerned and this was the issue no one communicated that with me so I had this really really large tube placed in fact it was a lot bigger than any tube I've ever had since. so I don't know what they were doing yeah I had a giant tube placed and then they had the guide wire and took me for x-ray brought me back but then left it there. And I didn't I didn't know there was a guide wire. I just thought that was how it was gonna feel. Yeah. And so I sat there crying hysterically. I could barely talk or swallow. Yeah. I was in so much pain because it was such a big tube. And I thought, if this is how things are gonna be, I can't do this. No. And it got to the point where I got so overwhelmed and so upset that the nurse the nurse was incredible. She came and said, No, no, it's okay, it's okay. We'll take it out. We can try again tomorrow. And so, okay, I don't really want to have to go through the process again, but I just felt so terrible. I said, please just take it out. Please just take it out. And the next morning, you know, I thought, okay, we'll try again. But when the gastro doctor came to see me, he said, oh, you've had your chance. If you don't want the tube, then that's fine. You can go home. uh, Okay. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So, and the, the problem was, Obviously, this guide wire had been left in and I hadn't realized. So I ended up, yeah, I ended up going home, no tube, and my weight just kept dropping and Mm -hmm. I just continued to get sicker and sicker.
0: And then did you, was it the gastro specialist down here in Dunedin or did you finally go somewhere else to get a second opinion or did you, how did this, how did it stop being like this all the time? So I'm very lucky
1: in some senses it, it can be hard but it definitely has been helpful uh, being chronically ill and that my mother actually works at Dunedin Hospital yeah so she works both clinically and in in clinical governance yep. as well so it she's means got that... that sneaky
0: inside intel
1: yeah <laughs> she's got the inside intel but she also she knows all the right people mm-hmm. and her role involves her working in the operating theatres, which is fantastic in the sense that she works with a lot of different specialties and surgeons and things like that. So one day she was having a conversation with one of her work colleagues who happened to know me and had asked how I was doing because they knew that I'd not been well. And the surgeon that was working in the theatre at the time said, Oh. She sounds like quite an interesting case. Do you want me to have a look at her? You know, like yes. could, could you know, do you want do you want her GP to refer refer her to to me and I can see what what's going on. And of course, you know, my mum jumped at the chance mm-hmm. and straight away we got my GP to write up a referral and it went through the process and eventually I was able to see this general surgeon who, you know, had a really, really, really good look over me.
0: Doesn't that make you, I mean, that's so fantastic and I'm so happy that that happened for you. And doesn't that just make you feel so sad that different departments and people in the same town don't talk to each other and can't Mm. just refer and try and find out more information from other people that might know more than them, as opposed to just, oh, well, send you home. It's really sad and I think... It's
1: something that it's a major concern for me I guess when it comes to the chronic illness space is that a lot of health professionals even though they talk about working cohesively and as a team they're really siloed in their care. Yes. And so for Dunedin Hospital in particular I don't want to get political because I don't think it's the time or place but as a hospital they do really struggle like Fortunately, they are finally building a new hospital for us, which I think is going to be great, though even then they're already having concerns about it not being big enough mm-hmm. and not having the right, you know, facilities and things. But what happens is I was under gastroenterology, which in Dunedin is quite a, a hard thing a hard service to get into and once you're in there they're very tight with their budget so if they don't think you need a test then they just won't do it so it made it really hard to actually get anywhere with it it all comes down to money doesn't it it does it comes down to money and it basically means that if I if my mum hadn't had that interaction with that surgeon I have no idea where I'd be today because seeing that surgeon and going forward from there ultimately
0: kind of changed my life so you have a feeding tube now I do yes how long from then you had this meeting this appointment with this surgeon then what happened were you finally diagnosed with something that were you able to eat food so no <laughs> yeah <laughs> basically that was all the way back
1: in I believe maybe late 2016 so it was the same year that mm-hmm. I'd seen gastro the same year that I'd become unwell. But, I mean, we're in 2020 now and I only got my official diagnosis a few months ago.
0: So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's been a long journey. Has it been three years of just on and off in the hospital? No one has known what to say or do. When did they start to go, okay, let's try this feeding tube again. Let's see what we can do. So, in late 2016,
1: I had a feeding tube placed again. Okay, so they did try So again they did then. try, and, yeah. So once I'd seen the surgeon, things started to get a little bit better mm-hmm. in the sense that they did place another feeding tube. But instead of placing in there's a nasogastric, they placed in there's a nasogastric, okay. which means it goes into my jejunum, so it bypasses my stomach. Because, Interesting. Yeah, we thought if... Food going into my stomach is what's causing the pain and the nausea. Then if it goes into my jejunum, then hopefully that won't happen.
0: Right. Yeah. It's
1: It's, so amazing that (laughs) this happens. It's yeah, it's pretty crazy. And it's one of those things that unless you actually are exposed to the world of even just feeding tubes, there's so many different types. And you know, you see a feeding tube on someone and you think, Oh, they must have an eating disorder or oh they must be sick but there's so much more to it than that and There's so many different types, you know, whether it's a nasal one or one that's in, you know, their stomach, for example, that can't be seen from the outside, Mm -hmm. that I think until I actually started learning more about them, it really was very much just going blind and just hoping that it was going to help. And having a nasal jejunal definitely has changed my life and has helped so much. And, yeah, I'm very grateful that they were willing to try again. But even then, what did happen is – at one point, the following year, 2017, I spent two months in hospital. Yeah. Like two months straight, which was really hard because I'd had this feeding tube placed. I'd started getting energy again. I'd started being able to function again. And then all of a sudden, I had, I had a flare. Ultimately, yep. I had a flare. But the flare was really poorly managed because what happened is, and this is nothing against my current specialist Mm -hmm. but the specialist surgeon that I'd been referred to and been able to see got a new job right and he moved away yeah and my care changed and as is always the problem when your care is transferred there were teething issues Mm -hmm. and it meant that I was admitted to hospital and things didn't really go to plan yeah everything started falling apart and it got to a point where yeah i was just that unwell that i ended up in hospital for two months straight i had been back at uni i'd been able to resume my studies after Mm -hmm. having to um, withdraw because i was so unwell yeah and obviously being in hospital for two months meant that once again i had to withdraw and everything was just a bit yuck Mm -hmm. Following that admission, though, I was readmitted relatively quickly afterwards, like within a few weeks of being discharged. Yeah. And my consultant thought it would be a good idea to try life without the tube. Oh. Yeah. A little bit of a left field, you know, didn't really see it coming. But I think he thought, well, maybe, and this sounds strange, but I think there is a lot of psychological components that can come with being unwell sometimes. So I think he wanted to try the theory of, if you don't look sick, maybe you won't be sick. Okay. Great in theory. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it didn't work. So I had managed to get my weight up to a nice, uh, you know, a really good number. Everyone was really happy. Mm-hmm. He took the tube out and I dropped 10 kilos again. Yeah, just it yeah. all started very, very again. quick. It yep. just basically went into that same cycle and things just weren't great. And so fortunately, I eventually had the tube placed again because everybody was starting to get a little bit worried that I was, and without being dramatic, that I was going to die. Because I was just getting so malnourished and really not flourishing at all. For anyone (laughs) who
0: doesn't know how a feeding tube works, Mm -hmm. could you take us through the ins and outs of what is actually being put in your body with it? Yeah, so with a feeding tube, you have... Well, ultimately,
1: something called feed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a liquid nutrition, I guess. And it's a bit like having a smoothie or a milkshake or like maybe a protein shake yeah, uh, through a tube that's either in your nose or in your stomach that then goes into yeah either your stomach or your small intestine. So, yeah, I have these little bottles of feed. Mm-hmm. And... They smell disgusting, taste disgusting. You would not want to drink it unless you really, really had to. And what I do is I attach it up to some tubing and that all hooks into a machine. And then I can plug myself in and then it runs either overnight or during the day or just whenever you need to run it. So you can be running your feed for set periods of time, whether that's that you run it for 24 hours a day, which is what some people need to do. Whether you just run it overnight, whether you run it... Um, for a few hours in the morning or afternoon it depends on how much you're needing what you're needing it for and what rate your body can tolerate it at so the machine can propel the feed through at different rates I Mm -hmm. guess and depending on the symptoms that you get with that I mean you know it will depend on what speed I guess it goes so I think for me my general feed rate would be sort of around the 50 to 60 mils an hour on a really good day when I'm doing well. But if I'm sick, I might only manage, you know, 10 mils an hour, 20 mils an hour, which seems like nothing, Mm -hmm. but any little bit helps. And because you can get different makeups off the feed, Mm -hmm. it means that you can either have one calorie per per mil, two calories per mil. So if you are really unwell and you're needing a slower rate of feed administration, you can have a higher calorie concentrate. So then you're still getting you know some energy going in, even if it's only a really small amount at one time.
0: Yeah, and then fast forwarding to so we're we're pausing the story of your timeline briefly. Yes, to I'm fast, so sorry it's so long. Oh, it is so amazing. I'm sure everybody listening at home is just in awe of you. So we'll fast forward to now. Mm-hmm. What is your what is what do you do now today 2020? The problem that I have. And
1: it's, it's a bit of a weird one because obviously people that know about feeding tubes will be listening and going, why does she still have a nasal tube? Because okay. generally people with nasal tubes only have them for a short amount of time. You know, they're kind of a temporary, a temporary fixture. You have to have them replaced a lot. They can block a lot. And they're not really something you want to have, you know, for years and years at a time because it's on your face. It makes it very apparent that I'm sick. And yeah. for me being unwell is such a small part of who I am yeah. that I don't really want it to be the main attraction. I don't want it to be what people see. But the alternative to that is having a feeding tube in my stomach. And what they have to do for that is they create a wee stoma and then they can kind of thread the tube through into the right space, I guess, Yeah, the easiest way to say it. And it probably sounds silly for people that do have them, but the thought of it terrifies me. You know, if I didn't want a feeding tube anymore, or if I didn't need a feeding tube anymore, I should say, I could pull it out and it's gone. There's yeah. no lasting, you know, lasting, there's no lasting evidence, you know, mm-hmm. that it was even there in the first place. Whereas if you have one in your stomach, it just feels like so much more permanent. Yeah. And real. And I don't know, it's one of those things that mentally, I'm really struggling to come to terms with even now. And my dietitian has been amazing in the sense that, we're just sort of taking things slow and maybe eventually one day I will have one permanently in my body but for now I just have it on my nose
0: and you have some wonderful (laughs) zebra tape that you sometimes I do
1: love to bling bling it up sometimes I like to also fit into the crowd but it is nice to be a bit bright and colorful with my tape because you do need to tape it down but, so no. that
0: was 2017 where they thought, all right, let's see if it's going to work without the feeding tube. Spoiler alert, it didn't. <laughs> then what happens to get you onwards to this diagnosis? Just life continued to be a little bit shit, really. Yeah. You know, just things weren't great. I,
1: I was trying so hard just to get on with my life, just trying to live, trying to be happy and healthy and I just was bouncing in and out and in and out of hospital. And I mean, things were okay. Like I've got an incredible dietitian. like actually all of my specialists are so amazing. So I, I see quite a few different people. I also have an amazing physio who I go to quite regularly for sort of like, I guess, rehab, because being in hospital a lot, you get deconditioned really easily. Yep. And then because I've got my osteopenia and also i actually have arthritis as well it makes it really hard when i end up stuck in bed when i'm not well enough to be active yeah because you sort of get all tense and sore and it's it's really important to try and stay strong and so Mm -hmm. i do quite frequent rehab with her to try and keep me fish and healthy and then also um play a few different sports as well including wheelchair rugby which i yeah which looks amazing it's it's very fun though sometimes i think it's a little bit too dangerous for
0: me i was gonna say do you have to
1: worry about the kidneys with the wheelchair rugby not so much because your your um your back's protected. Okay, you know because you're in a chair, but it is definitely a little bit risky. I do come home covered in bruises some weeks. Wow, because I do bruise easily, but mm-hmm. it's fun and it's a really nice way of me staying active that isn't too harsh on my lower body as well, because obviously I'm sitting down, yeah. and so it means it protects my knee, which is awesome, and still keeps me fit, which I absolutely
0: love so already it's 2016 it's 2017 2018 (laughs) 2019 Mm -hmm. still not really an overarching diagnosis of why all of this shit is happening yeah no so they they kept on you know sort of saying
1: oh well we think you have this and we think you have that like I got diagnosed with gastroparesis which basically means that my stomach doesn't work properly. Yeah. We kind of figured that, that out, out pretty, yeah. <laughs> you know, pretty early on, something's wrong there. But yeah, there was no real reason why you know, like I was also having uh, reactions to various um, other things, like more minor reactions, like to yeah. like I'm allergic to makeup, for example, yeah. and like perfume and a lot of medications. You know, like they'd be trying to give me pain relief, and I would just vomit or break out in hives and things like that. Yeah. So they ended up diagnosing me with mast cell activation syndrome as well, and then a few other random, you know, conditions. But it was like, why is this all happening? Mm -hmm. Like, why me? What have I done? Yeah, You know? And so, yeah, that was the thing. Because doctors and health professionals can be so siloed in their care, no one had really looked at it holistically, looked at the big picture. And we were begging, we were asking so much if that could happen. And my GP was trying to refer me to different specialists and things. And I'd ask some of my specialists and say, what do you think? Do you think that these two things might be related? And I mean, they would be support me in my ideas, but at the end of the day, they were really only there for, you know, my knee because of my arthritis yes. or for my bones because of my osteopenia. And so, they weren't really willing to connect the dots in the way that I needed them to. And because New Zealand is such a small country and we have such limited You know, specialist knowledge, I guess. We've got some incredible specialists, but we don't have the same facilities and knowledge that some countries overseas have. There just wasn't really
0: the magic answer that I needed to get me well. And we don't seem to have a computer system that they can all just connect with. Like, it's just so ridiculous. Anyway, that's that's for a whole (laughs) other podcast. (laughs) And then finally, a specialist in Auckland enters yes. the scene yes tell yes, us they do. what happened
1: it's a bit of a crazy story and it's I think it's hard in New Zealand because the chronic illness community we're not massive mm-hmm. you know we 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 don't all know each other but a lot of us have similar experiences and similar stories and so I had heard of the specialist in Auckland okay he was a private and in my mind was very much out of reach, but also not someone I'd need to see, mm-hmm. I guess. And then earlier this year, someone said, I think you might have Ellis Danlos. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Well, I, I, I knew what it was because I, I'd meet people online who struggled with it as well. And I thought, maybe, maybe. And I knew this specialist existed. So mm-hmm. we, we, we went to my GP, we said... would you you mind referring me to the specialist? I mean, I know he's got a really long wait list, but it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. So she wrote the letter. It got sent away. And it was hard because all of this had transpired right after lockdown. So I'd been in lockdown thinking about the fact that maybe I should get this referral, but because the whole world was in lockdown, disarray at that point yeah. and i mean still is yeah i was like well maybe i should wait i'll wait till a better time mm-hmm. but after lockdown i was out walking my dog one day yeah and got a phone call i answered the phone and it was the receptionist for the specialist right and i thought oh oh my gosh they've got my referral this is great because my gp had literally sent the referral maybe two days before yeah like so you know that's a, that's really fast acknowledging that they've got it <laughs> yeah like this is amazing and she said oh yes so we've got your referral And we'll let you know, you know, when we can can see you. The waiting list at the moment is about 12 months. And I thought, wow, they've got my referral. This is amazing. Yeah. 12 months is a little while to wait, but that's fine. I've been sick for, you know, years. Like, I can wait. That's absolutely fine. Maybe I can go on the cancellation list. Mm -hmm. The day continued. I told my parents, I said, yeah, I've got this referral. It's all gone through. And then my phone rang again.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. My phone rang again. And I've said hello. It was the receptionist again. And she yeah. goes, so he's looked at your referral. How soon can you get here? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh my goodness. So basically we straight away, we trying to book flights, which was really tricky. Just, just out of lockdown yes. because flights <laughs> weren't really a thing, but flights to Auckland, accommodation, all that sort of thing. And yeah, before I knew it, I was on a plane to Auckland because as i later found out the specialist looked at my referral and he said if it had been sent during lockdown i would have been classed as an urgent case and would have been allowed to travel despite all of the restrictions that were in yep. place and he was that worried about me that mm-hmm. he wanted to see me as ASAP. soon as possible, yeah. yeah like it was it was insane and extremely validating as well, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Like yeah. validation is so important when you're not well.
0: Yeah. What happened once you got there? Oh, the day that we flew to Auckland. It was one of those days
1: where anything that could go wrong oh, no. went wrong. <laughs> including that we arrived. I think my appointment was supposed to be maybe at 3.30 in the afternoon. Because of COVID, And because of the lack of flights, we'd had to fly via Wellington. Yeah. And so when we landed in Wellington, our initial flight was delayed a tiny bit, but that was fine because we still had time in Wellington. Mm -hmm. So we landed in Wellington to find out that our Wellington flight had also been delayed. (sighs) So we ended up arriving in Auckland at about five o'clock oh no so this is you know obviously several hours after my appointment was supposed to be and the wait list is 12 the wait list is massive (laughs) it's a friday so obviously the specialist is going to want to be going home i was the last appointment (laughs) for the day so but they were incredible we'd called them in wellington and they said no it's okay just come when you get here oh that's so lovely so we arrived around five o'clock then had to sit in auckland traffic yep yep classic (laughs) we finally get to the appointment at about 5 30 and i was literally in that appointment it was supposed to be for an hour yeah we were nearly there for i think three hours like it was i was so overwhelmed there was so much information to take in but he was so fascinated by me that he just he took the time it was incredible like by the time i came out of the appointment i was just like
0: What just happened? And were you diagnosed in that appointment? (laughs) I was, yeah.
1: So I basically walked in and he'd already looked at all of my notes. And once he'd done more
0: testing, he said, you're an absolute textbook case. And that is how they diagnose EDS, isn't it? They look, it's all to do with like clinical notes and everything that's been happening. There isn't just like this magic test that you can do and suddenly you're diagnosed with it.
1: Yeah, so... Alice um, Danlos there are 13 different types and some of them have genetic markers so you can get genetic testing but it doesn't always show up so even yeah. if you didn't have the genetics it doesn't mean you don't have the yeah. condition so they also look at like the clinical diagnosis so yeah they'd gone through all my notes and they'd done lots of different tests that they do for I guess, for yeah. it yeah and yeah he came to that conclusion but it was crazy because he'd he'd got the um the pages from various journal articles and from books Mm -hmm. and was showing me pictures and he's like hey look it's you and it was weird like I could see my funny fingers and I could see you know my my face like I mean I'm not saying I've got a weird face but I'm quite young looking I mean I'm 29 and most people think I'm in my early 20s at best Mm -hmm. you know like there were these little things that was like hey that's that's me I thought that this was just just a Lauren thing but it's actually it's actually because of (sighs) McEDS like it's 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 real there is a reason why my life is like that there is a reason why I have all of these other conditions yeah all the dots
0: were being connected yeah
1: it was insane it was just the most yeah crazy crazy day and I, I remember we got back to the hotel
0: and it was just like, wow. So musculocontractual Ellis danlos Syndrome, it is caused by, I've got the gene written down, it's the CHST14 gene. Yes. I find this so fascinating. And so um, I'm not sure if this is correct from my deep <laughs> Google searching of this that I did. It is super rare. Mm-hmm, I think these are what only two people maybe in New Zealand yes, and you are is. one of them look <laughs> at us go it's the exclusive here on that's so chronic <laughs> but that the child must inherit two of these genes one from each parent and then this is what makes this mm. kind of faulty gene that then brings this out oh, yeah. so it's just phenomenal and to get that diagnosis and that your life makes sense that must have just been amazing
1: it really was and I mean, it's been a real journey over, you know, the past four years, and there's been some really incredible moments like that, and then there's been some really low moments as well, and there was at one point the worry that I was going to die, and that was, you know, either through medical malpractice or through, you know, starving, becoming so malnourished that my heart gave out, or whether I died ultimately through my own actions, you know, because things were so dark at times and when you're malnourished and you can't think straight Mm -hmm. you know your head goes to the craziest places and for the first time in a long 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 while I actually had real hope and a sense of almost a sense of purpose I guess in my journey it was like wow I actually this is real this is actually it's not all in my head like you know, I know that I had various conditions, but there was a reason why they were they were happening, why why everything had sort of just turned upside down. Yeah. You know? And what next? What happens now? I guess ultimately it's one of those tricky things. You've just gotta treat the symptoms. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Okay. But I mean, it's good because knowing that I have a condition means that we can take precautions to prevent other things from happening i guess or to make life a little bit easier for myself so for example after i got that diagnosis i then finally had a -a porticath inserted so i now have i guess easier access for you know when i need ivs and i need medications and things like that because i had no vi no iv access left yeah my veins were shot and because of my eds that was even worse. Yeah. You know, there was sort of, they'd been talking about it for a while, but that was the final straw. Well, this isn't going to go over, away overnight. We really should do something about yeah. it. You yeah. know, so that's been amazing. It's made my life a lot less stressful because, you know, they'd spend hours just trying to get a single IV cannula, which would then tissue straight away. Yeah. You know, I was having IVs in my feet, in my neck, and funny little crooks of my arm. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't great. But now my life is so much easier having yeah having had that and then they can take precautions if I have
0: surgery and things like that so it's it has been good and and are you able to start any type of treatment medications to try and help the symptoms or the, the disease from progressing yes <laughs> and no yeah
1: at the moment. It is really tricky because there's so many different treatments that are available and it does sort of depend on what other conditions you have Mm -hmm. and also how your body responds to it. Okay, yeah. So the one big thing I'm having at the moment is vitamin C. So with EDS, it has a lot to do with collagen Mm. as well. Yeah, and so I have the vitamin C to help with, I believe it's to help with, strengthening the collagen i could yeah, be wrong why? don't quote me on that yeah but yeah so i'm having two grams of vitamin c a day which is a lot as far as things go because if you don't need it and you're taking that much your body will just pee it out yeah you know just get rid of it but i'm taking yeah these two there's two grams of vitamin c along with all of my other regular you know pain and anti-nausea medications and then i also have been taking infrequently but still taking when i do need to something called creon okay which i I believe is used a lot with people who have CF. Okay. Though I could also be wrong there. I just know that it is quite a popular drug to use for other conditions. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's about the fat absorption and things. So when I am having things in my mouth, because I do fortunately still get to eat food a little bit, Yeah. Um, even though it can make me feel pretty yuck, it's, it's a special time. If I'm having particularly fatty foods and things, then I have Creon because it can help me not feel quite as yuck which has been awesome as well and just to have that as an option Mm -hmm. you know it means I can actually enjoy my birthday or that special occasion a little bit even if I'm only having half of a kid's portion it's still better than nothing are you able to eat ice cream ice cream is my favorite excellent I'm basically an ice cream influencer just gonna put it out there if (laughs) any ice cream companies are listening please send me your products I will (laughs) eat them and I will enjoy them ice cream ice cream is amazing actually because it's basically like liquid obviously So it's a really, really easy to eat. It doesn't give me as much pain. It can make me feel very nauseous, mm-hmm. but ice cream is definitely one of my go-to foods. Anything soft, basically, but ice cream, the number one. And in Dunedin, must- oh, sorry, but pasties and cream. Oh, okay. My absolute Dunedin fave. While you are here, you must try okay. it.
0: Add that to my list. <laughs> and you must be getting some sort of calcium from the ice cream as well. For well, the exactly.
1: I still don't drink milk, though I have, and I mean, this is going to make me sound very basic. I, I'm not a coffee drinker as such, but I have, I'm now, I now drink, mockers oh congratulations I can't do a hot mocker, only a cold one (laughs) like it's got to be iced I know baby steps I'm not sure what it is but so I am getting a little bit more dairy than I used to still (laughs) love cheese but nothing too fancy no but no it is it is good I am still getting calcium and because I've also been doing as much physical activity as I can to help with my bones and with my arthritis I've also managed to like I said make my bone density scan results a lot better which mm-hmm. is why I've been able to go from the osteoporosis diagnosis back to osteopenia yep. which has been awesome because when I did lose a lot of weight my bone density scan results were even worse like they got scary at one point yeah but fortunately because I've worked really hard things are kind of trending back in the right direction which is amazing and So, so good for the long-term future because I do not want to be, you know, breaking hips and femurs and things, especially when I'm
0: still so young. Absolutely not. I think if you take one thing away from this podcast today, you guys listening at home, which there are a lot of things to take away, but if you take one thing away, I think it should just be eat the ice cream. Do it. (laughs) It's always (laughs) worth it. Even if you vomit it. In fact,
1: this is terrible and probably TMI. Most recently, I did have to uh, flick a wee DM to Olive. Olive is the creator, I guess, of pieces and cream. Yeah, Lovely, lovely human. Very supportive of my ice cream habit. I did have to tell her that I had um, vomited one of her new flavors. And (laughs) I said it tasted just as good coming up as it it was going
0: down. (laughs) And she said, let's stick that on the label. (laughs) So there you go. Oh, thank you so much. And on that note, we're going to leave it there. When we recorded the episode, it was just the beginning of Lauren's diagnosis. So maybe in the future, we can record a follow-up episode and see where she's at now. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Instagram at That's I love hearing from you all. And I also love seeing you listen to the pod. So feel free to tag thatsochronic So Chronic everywhere. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Press that follow button on Spotify and tell all of your friends. I'm on a mission to get as many people around the world listening to these stories as possible so that we can hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope.